All right. Wow. Thank you. So are you grateful for those members of our worship team that serve us and the Lord every week? I sure am. Um, wow. A couple of great, great songs that I really, really appreciate were part of our, our worship this morning. What a Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, we got so much to be grateful for and thankful for. I don't know how many of you that are here present this morning were here Friday night for our movie night, but we had an amazing evening together. Uh, we had phenomenal food. We had a phenomenal movie, just a great time of fellowship, banging elbows and being careful. But uh, I'm, I just want to say thank you. And I'm, I, every time I do this, I, I always know I'm going to get miss somebody and forget to say thank you to somebody. But... Uh, Eddie and Patty lead our fellowship commission and have just done a phenomenal job. Uh, Ed and Kathy Cosina came alongside and helped with some of the food prep and all of that. They just are such a great part of our church family. Uh, Dee was helping as a part of that also. And like I said, I'm going to forget somebody else. Uh, Tim always does our technology. And uh, we had some challenges uh, Friday trying to get that to happen. But it all worked together finally and, and happened. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you to the Fellowship Commission and uh, to Tim and Habib with all the technology stuff. Uh, we have challenges almost every week with technology. I was praying last night for our technology, and the first thing I found out when I got here this morning is, we got no sound. It's not working. And so we just, we just need to pray, and God's faithful to answer prayer, isn't he? And so we just have so, so much. Uh, to be grateful for. And I, I just want you to understand that in the midst of pandemics, fires, anybody feel an earthquake this week? Yeah. You know, one of my buddies who lives in Whittier said it knocked him completely out of bed. I slept right through it. Um, that's okay. But in the midst of all this stuff, we still can be grateful to God for all these done for us, can't we? We can be grateful for all that he's provided for us, and uh, I, just, I just want to lift up his name and say thank you, Lord, this morning. We have folks in our church family that uh, I pray for every day, and I, I'm praying my way through the church directory, kind of one page every day, and uh, enjoying trying to match up still some faces with some names and figure out who's... And I'm discovering that there's people related to each other that I didn't know, so I have to be careful what I say to this person about that person, because, you know... Um, but it, it's, it's all good. Uh, we ought to remember to pray, uh, continue to pray for Sandy as she recovers from her surgery on her ankle, the Achilles, that whole thing. Uh, she told me I wouldn't see her till Thanksgiving, and I'm praying that she uh, breaks that record and we can see her before that. But uh, that's kind of her healing and recovery process, so she's got several more weeks of that. Uh, Ron Muir had a procedure this week to uh, smash a uh, kidney stone, and last time I talked to him, I... I think Friday, yeah, Friday afternoon, uh, he was still in quite a bit of discomfort and pain from that procedure, and uh, we just need to continue to support him and encourage he, and of course, Dee has to help take care of him, so she probably needs prayer more than he does, right? But I uh, want to do that. Uh, Rhonda Lipson had her second uh, chemotherapy treatment this last Thursday and told me that she's starting to lose hair and all that fun stuff. Um, I've been losing hair for several decades and uh, got my hair cut this, got them all cut actually. And I could see myself in the mirror and this, every time they cut hair, there's less and less hair. But, uh, so we want to remember to pray. That's just, uh, kind of the greatest need in our church is prayer, isn't it? 
It really is. I'm planning that to be my, my message focus next week as we go forward. I want to call us to prayer in some special ways. But join me now. Would you just join me now and, and let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together as well as on these that, that I've just mentioned. And maybe there's others that I, again, forget. But Lord, you are a gracious, gracious God, rich in loving kindness. Your scriptures tell us over and over again, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And so, Lord, we just bow our heads before you this morning with thanksgiving for who you are and all your power, all your greatness, all your glory. Lord, remind us in the midst of all this stuff of life that's crushing in upon us, this virus, these fires, even earthquakes. Lord, in the midst of all of this, remind us that you have created the heavens and the earth with your great power and your outstretched arm. There's nothing too difficult for you. And so, Lord, whatever it is this week in our lives, whether it's this virus, whether it's more fires, whatever it is, earthquakes, disease and illness, cancer, all this stuff of life, Lord, you're bigger, you're greater, you're more powerful, and you're going to bring us through. And so our trust and our confidence this morning is in you. And I do want to remember to, to pray this morning for Sandy and Ron as they recover from, from surgery, from the procedures that uh, they've experienced, that you would just strengthen, encourage, uh, just lift their spirits above that discouragement that uh, lays them aside in these days. Pray too for Rhonda. She continues in this cycle of chemotherapy treatments for the next, uh, next four weeks or so, and, or, or I guess four months totally. Lord, we just entrust her to you to care for her, to meet her needs right there, and uh, just provide for her. Give her joy in the midst of this journey, this difficult time. Lift her heart and her spirit to rest and to trust in you. And Lord, we come this morning with our focus on the cross. We come this morning with our focus on Jesus' death and sacrifice for us. And I pray that in this moment of time, you will enable all of us to just push aside all the distractions of life. To push aside all that stuff that bangs against us mentally and emotionally, physically, spiritually. That just the stuff of life. Help us to lay all of that aside and bring our focus to you. Our focus to what you've accomplished for us at the cross. And I pray this morning that as Jesus said, that if he would be lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning, our, our heart's desire is to lift you up, that you would be exalted, honored, lifted up, and that you would indeed draw all of us to yourself in a new and a fresh and a significant way. Thank you for doing that. And we ask all of these things in your precious, precious name. Amen. I don't know how many of you might be in the habit of donating blood regularly. Um, I've been donating blood since I was 18. Almost uh, every 56 weeks or 56 days is kind of the standard. And uh, about the time that 50 days go by after my last donation, I start getting phone calls and emails and text messages telling me it's time to come and donate blood again. And so this last week, I was down at the blood bank uh, donating blood. And while I was laying there and the blood was uh, kind of pumping out, 
I was reminded that it was two years ago, May two years ago, that uh, I started on my cross-country bike ride, having just uh, less than two months before that gone to the blood bank to donate blood in my normal way, and they asked if I would be willing to do a double red blood cell donation. And I said, well, sure, I'm here to help. That's kind of my thing in life. I'm here to help. How can I help? And so I gave up two units of red blood cells. And it wasn't until I started uh, getting on my bicycle and continuing to train and getting ready for my bike ride that I began to realize that something was different, something had changed. I don't know how much you know about your blood. Your blood, typically, you've got a gallon to a gallon and a half of blood flowing through your veins. It depends on whether you're a woman or a man, whether you're a child or an adult, that it varies. But you've got so much liquid flowing in your veins, and that blood contains red blood cells. And what do the red blood cells carry that's really important? Oxygen. And so oxygen is probably not that big of a deal, right? I mean, who needs oxygen? We all do. And so because I was pedaling my bicycle in 90 plus heat, 90 plus humidity up and down these steep hills in Virginia, without the adequate supply of oxygen from my muscles, my tissues, my organs, on day nine, I wound up in the emergency room in Roanoke, Virginia. And my 90-day cross-country bike ride uh, never got me across the border out of the state of Virginia because... My blood failed to accomplish what it's intended to do. And you know, unless there's something that happens in your life where you're losing blood, you never think about it. You never think about that, that gallon to a gal, gallon and a half of liquid, 7 to 8% of your body weight, by the way. You never give any thought to that blood going through your veins feeding oxygen and essential nutrients to every part of your body, carrying waste products away. And it goes on 24-7 every single day of your life. And we never think about it. We take it for granted. One of the, when you think about God's design and God's creation of the human body, uh, we take for granted so much, don't we? But we take for granted the blood and all that it does for us physically. My concern is the same thing is true spiritually, that we, we kind of forget. We take for granted the blood that was shed for us, for the forgiveness of sin, for eternal life, for everything that God gives us is because of Jesus' death on the cross, right? But we forget Life is busy, life is full, and just like we don't think about the blood in our veins, we don't think about the blood of Jesus. And if you remember at the Last Supper when Jesus was having that last meal with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup and shared that time with them, there's a phrase that Jesus used. He said, as often as you do this, what? Do this in remembrance of me. And so there's a value to us on a regular basis remembering what Jesus has done for us. Because we're so prone to forget, aren't we? We're so prone to take it for granted. And there's so many scriptures, and I'm going to remind you this morning of, of many passages of scripture. Because I want you to remember this morning as we prepare to take communion together. And 
I might just drop in here this thought that, you know, what we're doing this morning is very different for us. This isn't something we regularly do. Many churches do something like what we're going to do this morning on on a Sunday morning on some kind of a basis. Typically, we celebrate communion three, four times a year in our threefold service where we essentially reenact the Last Supper and the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples with a meal, the washing of feet, as well as the bread and the cup. And just because of the COVID stuff, it seemed really awkward to try to figure out how to do that. And, and so we hope to, this morning, kind of capture at least the, the, the core uh, of, of, of what's really important, to remember Jesus' death for us. And so, you know, we're not, we're not planning some kind of a new thing. We're not changing anything. But we're just, we're just trying to respond and, and I think follow what Jesus wants us to do. Is that okay? Everybody good with that? You know, I've been telling you for the last five or six weeks, bottom line is we want what Jesus wants here, right? I've been suggesting to you our prayers need to be, Lord Jesus, what do you want? And it's just our conviction that as he leads us, this is, this is, this is where we are this morning. And we'll continue to do what Jesus wants us to do. We really will. That's, that's my hope. And so in, in Hebrews chapter 9, a passage that speaks to me in a significant way about Jesus' death and Jesus' blood. The, the book of Hebrews is a fascinating book. I ought to back up and give you a little context. But the book of Hebrews, the basic theme of the book is Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than the priesthood of the Old Testament. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the sacrifices. Jesus is better. And that's, a great, that's great news, isn't it? I used to work for a man when I was in high school. I'm not sure. He was from one of those southern countries or somewhere. But he used to use the phrase all the time, well, that's Mobetta. And so that's my definition of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is Mobetta. And I like that a lot. Verse 11 of chapter 9 in Hebrews says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more, Mobeta, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so I want to share with you this morning uh, four ideas they kind of flow out of my, what I call the, the big idea. The big idea is that the blood that Jesus shed for you and for me on the cross is the most significant, most powerful force we know. The blood that Jesus shed for you and for me is the most significant, most powerful force that we know. And so my first thought about that as I reflect on scriptures is that The blood that Jesus shed for me and the blood that he shed for you is perfect and pure. Because Jesus was the perfect, sinless sacrifice. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that was the bottom line with Old Testament sacrifices, right? Without what? Blemish. Perfect, perfect sacrifice. 
And so Jesus was that perfect, sinless sacrifice. Never sinned, never failed to measure up to God's standard, up to the Father's standard. Perfect. It was Pilate who said, I find in him no fault at all, in John 18. Judas said, I've betrayed innocent blood, Matthew 27. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. And that theme flows through the scriptures over and over again. He is the perfect, sinless sacrifice. There's a song that was written long before 1984, Maggie. Nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? What's the answer? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? The blood of Jesus. And then there's this line, Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. We sang that song. Makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in 1 John 1, 7, the Apostle John says it well. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus was that perfect, sinless sacrifice. The blood that He shed the most powerful, most significant force that we know. My second thought is this. The blood that Jesus shed for me and for you is permanent because its effects last forever. One of the sad things about the Old Testament sacrificial system is it had to be repeated over and over again. It was temporary. It never ultimately solved anything. It was always looking forward to that which would be permanent and eternal and forever. And that which it looked forward to was what? Jesus' death. Jesus' sacrifice. His payment for sin. The Old Testament word atonement. You're familiar with the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. That word atonement literally means to cover over. The Old Testament sacrificial system, all it accomplished was covering over sin. It was temporary. It didn't last. And that's why they made sacrifices every day. That's why they had the day of Yom Kippur every year. It was temporary. Sin was simply covered over. Now, can you imagine living in that culture, in that context, with that idea of sin being covered over, being temporary, needing to be repeated over and over again, And then John the Baptist points at Jesus as Jesus walks along the side of the Jordan River. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God that sort of kind of temporarily takes care of our sin for us, right? No, that's not what he said. What did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. The blood that Jesus shed for you and for me is permanent forever eternal. Hebrews 7:27 says, "Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of people, because this this he did once for all when he offered up himself." We read this verse in Hebrews 9:12 a few minutes ago, "Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place." How many times? Once for all. And that, those three words, once 
for all are repeated over and over again in the book of Hebrews especially. That Jesus' death, his sacrifice, his payment for sin was a permanent, eternal, forever, never to be repeated sacrifice. The blood that Jesus shed for you and me is the most significant, most powerful force we know. It's pure and perfect. It's permanent. The third thought, as I've reflected on this, is that the blood that Jesus shed for you and for me is powerful. It accomplishes so much. If you were at the movie Friday night, in the context of the movie, the young girl Hannah comes to faith and invites Jesus into her life and puts her faith and trust in Jesus. And the school principal who's counseling with her and leading her to faith encourages her to go to the first two chapters of Ephesians and and to list everything that God has done for her. And so the book of Ephesians begins with these all these spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with. And so we saw Hannah writing a list, didn't we? I'm loved. I'm chosen. I'm His child. All these things are true today for you and for me for only one reason. They're true not because you're a good person. They're true not because you live a good life. They're not true because you've mastered the fine art of grace and kindness in your relationship with people. All those things are true. Why? Why? Because of Jesus. His death on the cross. His payment for sin. And I think, what a powerful, powerful force. Again, one of those old songs written before 1984. Would you be free from the burden of sin? What's the next line? There's power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. What Jesus and his disciples celebrated in that upper room for their last meal, I believe they were sharing together the Passover meal that Moses instituted there in Egypt as the night before they were released and and left Egypt and went to the promised land. And if you remember the story there in the book of Exodus, after the ten plagues, or actually after the nine plagues, the tenth plague was to be the death of the firstborn, what was each family to do? They were to sacrifice a lamb, and they were to take the blood from that sacrifice and put it on the doorposts and the lintel above. And that was the sign of their faith and their trust in God's provision. And if you still remember that movie, The Ten Commandments, is that kind of that foggy, dark cloud moves through the streets and firstborn are being killed. But where the houses had the blood, the firstborn lived. And so it was in that Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples were looking back and celebrating God's power in delivering them. And as we share communion together in a few minutes, we celebrate God's power and what he's accomplished for us at the cross. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you and me is the most significant, most powerful force we know. It is powerful, powerful, powerful. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
It's fascinating to me as I read some of the false teachers, false religions in the world in which you and I live, as they have talked about or written about the blood of Jesus. The founder of Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy, for example, wrote these words. The material blood of Jesus is no more efficacious to cleanse from sin when it was shed upon the cursed tree than when it was flowing through his veins. Not efficacious. Didn't accomplish anything. Didn't do a thing. R.B. Theme is a name some of you that are older, like me, might recognize. He was a teacher in Texas, highly regarded, highly respected. Um, I read much of what he wrote until I read these words. The red liquid that ran through the veins and arteries of Jesus' mortal body is not related to our salvation. How can you read your Bible and write those words, right? How could that be? How could that happen? The blood of Jesus is powerful when you think of all that it accomplished. To cleanse us from our sin, to give to us the righteousness of Jesus, to place us into God's family as his chosen children. I mean, is that powerful or what? It's powerful. I'm not sure when this song was written. I think it was written uh, before 84 also. I remember singing it in an ensemble in the early 70s when my wife and I were first married. And it's the song that I based my sermon title on. The blood will never lose its power. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. The blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. It soothes my doubts and calms my fears and it dries all my tears. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. Jesus' blood that we so quickly and easily take for granted not only was pure and perfect and permanent, but is powerful. And we ought to rise up and say, thank you, Lord, every day for the blood of Jesus, right? But like I said, I fear we, we, we forget, we take it for granted. My fourth thought is this, the blood that Jesus shed for me is precious. It has great value. The song said it well, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. In 1 Peter 1.19, Peter wrote these words, But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Jesus is precious. It's valuable. It has high, significant, strategic worth. There's nothing that you and I will ever own, or ever possess, or could ever possibly own or possibly possess, that is more valuable, more important, more significant, more strategic than the blood of Jesus. Precious, precious blood. And like I said, my fear is we forget. We take it for granted. We take for granted all that... 
that God has done for us. The story is told of a very wealthy older gentleman. His wife had passed away and his one son was very dear and very precious and very significant to him. And he and his son shared a common love of art. And this older gentleman had begun collecting masterpieces around the world. He had the wealth to support that habit. And he would find a Monet or a Van Gogh, and, and he would purchase these, these amazing masterpieces and works of art. And he and his son traveled the world together, discovering and purchasing masterpieces of, of value and worth. In time, the son enlisted in the army and served And in combat, while carrying wounded soldiers to safety, he was shot and died. Word reached the old man at home that his son had been killed in combat. And all by himself, no other family, sitting at home in grief and loneliness for months. Till one day there was a knock on the door. And a young man stood at the door carrying a wrapped package in his arms and This young man told the the older father that he was one of those soldiers that the son had rescued. He was one of those men that his son had saved his life. And he couldn't get over his appreciation for what the son had done. And so he painted a portrait of the son and presented it as a gift to the, the father. And he unwrapped that gift and was a wonderful likeness of his boy and He removed the masterpiece that had been hanging over the mantle on his fireplace and replaced it with the picture of his son. And he would sit quietly in his rocking chair and look at his son, look at the picture and remember. And he found peace and and help in, in that portrait that had been painted. In time, the old man passed away and His will declared that all of the paintings that he had collected through the years were to be sold at auction. And of course, all the other collectors around the world came bringing their checkbooks ready to spend whatever it took to acquire some of these great masterpieces that were in the old man's collection. And as the auctioneer stood up, explained that the will stipulated that the first painting to be auctioned off was... This portrait of the man's son that had hung over his fireplace above the mantle for these many, many months. And this upset the crowd quite a bit. We want to see the masterpieces. Don't waste our time. Move on. The auctioneer was firm. No, the will says we must sell this painting of the son first. How much am I bid for this picture? No responses. Who will give me a hundred dollars for this picture? Fifty. Twenty-five. Finally, a guy in the back goes, Hey, will you take ten? Sold to the gentleman for ten dollars. And then the auctioneer said, Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our auction. Thank you for coming. And you can imagine the storm of response that came. What are you talking about? We want the masterpieces. We want to see the portraits, the masterpieces. And the auctioneer said, well, I'm sorry, but 
The will stipulates that whoever purchases the picture of the son receives all the other masterpieces as well. Because if you have the son, you get it all. And, and that's what God has done for us in Jesus. If you got the son, you got it all. You got it all, Eddie. All of it. The Apostle John said it well in 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. This is the record that God has given to us, His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, the blood that Jesus shed for you and for me on the cross is the most significant, most powerful force we know. His pure and perfect life was sacrificed at the cross in His pure and perfect blood. And it has permanent effects, permanent results that last forever. If you can't get excited about that, you're, you know, you fell asleep several minutes ago, right? The blood that He shed is powerful in all that it accomplishes and all that we see. The blood of Jesus is precious. Precious. High value. And it's because of the blood of Jesus that we receive all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. All because of the blood of Jesus. And I realized this morning, again, how easy it is, how quick it is that, that we forget. And we lose sight of that significant, powerful force. It's good to remember that what the Bible calls the gospel is what kind of news? Good news. But it's also important to remember that to appreciate good news, it's important to understand what? The bad news. And you've heard those old good news, bad news jokes. But this is no joke because as I read this book... The bad news for every single man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet is that, as the scriptures say, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We fall short of God's standard. We fall short of God's standard of moral perfection. And the scripture says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, what we earn and what we deserve because of sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. Don't you love that next line, though? The wages of sin is is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the bad news is we fall short. And I found it helpful in my life, and as I share the good news with people, I find it helpful to remind them that it's not only true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Because I discovered years ago that a lot of people take comfort in the word all. And they miss the point that I, me, personally, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, when I have opportunity to share the good news with someone, I like to point them to the Ten Commandments. Just a simple standard that was laid out a long time ago. A simple standard that I find many people think they're doing just fine with. 
But when you start walking through the Ten Commandments, and you realize there's a statement there about, have no other gods before me. You know, is, is the Lord always the first priority in your life? Is the Lord always number one? Is He always at the top of the list? Or do we fall short and we have other gods in our lives? It says we're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. And I find most people don't really understand what it means to speak of God in an irreverent, unholy way. We even have a phrase that we, I hear a lot, oh my God, we do it OMG now. But we make reference to God in a very flippant, light-hearted, irreverent way. The holy creator God of the universe. And we disregard Him. Or you think of some of the other commandments. There's one that says something about uh, don't lie. Don't steal. Um, even if you steal something small of insignificant value, it's still stealing, right? There's that big one that most of us kind of think we skate by on where it says, do not kill. Well, I've never killed anyone. I get that answer all the time. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. But, you know, Jesus raised the standard when he said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. And so, falling short of God's standard is not just the activity or the action, the deed. It starts where? In the heart. You know, it doesn't start with the pulling of a trigger or the slashing of a knife. It starts in the heart. The same thing's true with that other of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Not, look, Jesus raises it to a whole other standard when he said, if you look on someone with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so, my whole point is, it's not just only true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but I've sinned, me personally. And I hope you agree, you too, right? We all have sinned and fall short. That, that's the bad news. And because of that, the consequence of sin is, the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from our holy, perfect creator God. And as I read this book in a unfriendly place called hell. That's why it's so important to be talking to people about the good news, right? That's why it's important for people to understand the good news. And so the good news is this. 2,000 years ago, God the Father, in His infinite wisdom and timing, Invaded this planet in the person of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. And Jesus lived that perfect, sinless life that you and I could never live. And after 33 years, he voluntarily, willfully went to the cross. Where he gave up his life in a horrible, awful, horrific death on a cross. But, what, three days later, he rose again from the dead in evidence of God's acceptance of that sacrifice and that payment for sin. And what God asks of each one of us who have fallen short of God's standard, what God asks of us is that we would repent of our sin, to turn our back on our sin and turn toward the Lord. 
I describe it as me tossing you a live hand grenade. You ought to grab that thing, chuck it one direction, and run the other, right? Repentance. We turn our back on those sinful behaviors, sinful thoughts, and we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and what He did on the cross. Is that good news or what? It truly is. And that's all that we celebrate this morning is as we share communion together. Jesus' death on the cross, His blood, is the most significant, most powerful force we know. And so for those of us that are here, we have these little, I don't know, hermetically sealed little cups. If you didn't get one, just kind of elevate your wrist above your shoulders and someone back there will see it and bring it to you. I'm hoping that those of you that are home have uh, found your liquid of choice, whether it's grape juice or doesn't really matter. If you have grape juice, that's always good. But as you peel off this first little layer here, the little kind of a cellophane layer, leave that purple one behind for, for the moment, you find a, a wafer here on top, a little piece of, of bread, unleavened. And as you hold this little wafer in your hand, this is to symbolize this morning, to remind us of Jesus' death, His broken body, all that He went through physically. Beaten beyond recognition there in the house of Ananias, the high priest. Weakened literally to the point of death before he ever made it to the cross. That broken, beaten, tortured body. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, standing in that dungeon area under the house of Caiaphas in Jerusalem... And seeing these little bowl-like impressions in the rock floor of that room. And what they did with those little bowl-like impressions is they filled them with water. And then the whip that they used to beat prisoners had leather thongs. And on the end of those leather thongs were bits of bone and, and stone. And it was that whip that was ripped into Jesus' back and as the bone and Stones on those leather thongs accumulated flesh that was swirled around in the water to clean it off to get a better bite the next time. And I remember standing there looking at that bowl and envisioning in my mind, maybe you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. This little wafer is intended to remind us of Jesus body. Before we take it together, I'm reminded that Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, talked to the Corinthians about taking the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. It's not, he's not talking about the fact that we're unworthy. That's a given, right? That's a given. We're so unworthy of everything the Lord has done for us. So unworthy. But what his caution was for them was that their attitudes in coming to that, that time around the table where they shared a meal and then shared the bread and the cup in remembrance of Jesus' death, that they would do that perhaps in an irreverent or flippant manner. Or perhaps they would come 
with sin in their, their hearts, without taking a moment to reflect on their own life, to reflect on their own situation. And so at this point, I always think it's appropriate to pause and say, just spend a moment in self-reflection and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that's out of kilter, out of square? I want my relationship with you to be on the level, on the even, squared away. Anything in my life that I need to confess and acknowledge before you? Because we want to come in a manner, in a way, treating these simple symbols with the attention and respect that they deserve. Because we honor Jesus with what we're going to do just at the moment. We honor Him, and we want to honor Him with clean lives. So let's just take a moment of quiet, and let me just invite you to reflect, to pray, to just spend a moment or two with the Lord Jesus. Lord, as we prepare to share this wafer together, remind us, first of all, in this moment of all that Jesus went through for us, all that he did on my behalf. Help us this morning to personalize it and realize that what Jesus went through on the cross, yes, he did this for all, but most importantly this morning, he did it for me. And we give you thanks. And Lord, we would come this morning with clean hearts, clean spirits, having confessed sin, having acknowledged where we have fallen short. And Lord, as we do that, we respond with thanksgiving for your forgiveness. You tell us if we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we take this wafer together with grateful, thankful hearts for all that Jesus experienced, all that he went through for us. And so take now that that wafer. And perhaps just in a moment of time in your own heart, your own spirit, give thanks to Jesus. Thank Him for His death, His sacrifice on the cross, His broken body. After Jesus had broken the bread on that evening with His disciples, the Scriptures tell us that then He took a cup. And I believe the cup that... Jesus took, was easier to open than this. Um, I believe the cup he took off the table was a part of that Passover meal. There were four cups of wine that they went through in the Passover meal, and the last one was, was the cup of blessing. And I think often that what a great blessing Jesus' death was for us, right? And to think of a cup of blessing that Jesus would hold up before his disciples and to say to them that this is the, the new covenant, the new promise, 
the new agreement, the new covenant that's in his blood. Because as the book of Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats was inadequate. It fell short. It's the blood of Jesus that is pure. It is powerful. It's permanent. It's precious. All those words we've used to describe it this morning. So we ought to be grateful that the blood that Jesus shed for you and for me will never lose its power. Give thanks together for this cup of blessing. Lord, we are truly unworthy of all that you've done for us. Unworthy. Forgive us, Lord, for ever thinking that in some way we deserve your blessings, your goodness, your forgiveness, your cleansing. All that we have and all that we experience because of your broken body and your shed blood is by your grace. We deserve nothing. Well, I guess actually, Lord, truth be told, we we deserve eternity apart from you. We deserve your judgment. And yet in your great love, your rich in mercy, you've forgiven us, cleansed us. Adopted us as your children, taken us into your family, all because of this blood, this most significant, most powerful force that we acknowledge this morning. And so, Lord, we just want to say this morning, thank you. We want to say thank you for what you've done for us. And, Lord, might we express our gratitude, not only in our hearts, not only with our voices, not only with our songs. But might we express our gratitude with the way that we live our lives in the days and weeks ahead. Might our lives reflect your love and your grace. Lord, might we also express our thanks to you for the message of the cross. By taking advantage of opportunities you bring to us to tell others the good news of your love, your grace, your your forgiveness. Lord, we can never say thank you enough for this most powerful, most significant force, the blood. And so we give you thanks together for the blood, for the broken body. In Jesus' name, amen.
Ephesians chapter 2 begins with the words, you were dead in trespasses and sins. That's bad news, right? But then I think it's verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy. And you're all familiar with that great classic verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith and then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 is where it kind of comes to conclusion when it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And so there's some good stuff God wants us to walk in this week. In your home, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. That the result of everything that Jesus has done for us by grace, we're his workmanship, his creative crafted piece of art, if you will. He's created us to do good stuff. And I don't know what the good stuff is in your life, but he wants to do good stuff through you in the lives of people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. And I pray that that would be your experience in the week ahead. I failed to mention earlier, and I ought to mention it before I pray. You know, I talked about the bad news and the good news. And it's always a mistake to assume that everybody that's sitting and hearing me say those things has come to the place of repentance and faith. And I just want to say this morning, if if you're in a place in your life where you heard the gospel, the bad news followed by the good news, and you're in a place where you need to make that choice to repent and turn from sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus, 
There's many of us here present this morning that would love to talk with you further and kind of clarify that, talk about that, pray with you. And I just pray that you would seek out someone to do that. Lord, we're grateful this morning, grateful for all you've done for us, grateful for the cross, grateful that you've chosen us to be your masterpieces in a world that desperately needs to hear the good news about Jesus, a world that desperately needs to hear about the power in the blood, the blood that will never lose its power. Find us faithful this week, Lord, to live in the light of these great truths and to trust you to use us in sharing that good news with others around us. Enable us, strengthen us, encourage us that we might be people of grace, people of good news, where we live, where we work. For your honor, for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom. Do that for us, is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.